Scam Rangers, a podcast about the human side of fraud and the people who are on a mission to protect us. I'm your host, Ayelet Bigger-Levine, and I'm passionate about driving awareness and solving this problem. Welcome to episode 12 of Scam Rangers. This episode is going to have a slightly different format. I'd like to invite you to a conversation I had with Didi and Lital, a married couple in cybersecurity, who I happen to know pretty well. Lital Asher Dotan is the Chief Marketing Officer at Hunters and has been in cybersecurity marketing for the last 10 years. Didi Dotan is the Chief Technology Officer at ORT, and he and I used to work together years ago at RSA Security. We met to talk about fraud and cybersecurity and what these disciplines have in common, as well as online scams. This time, I share my journey fighting fraud and protecting access to enterprises on their podcast. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So right. I started RSA Security 2008, and my focus was fraud detection and enterprise identity. Actually, throughout my career at RSA Security, I spent 11 years there, and I transitioned between fraud protection, working with financial institutions to protect the online banking sessions, and I work closely with you on enterprise identity, protecting access to organizations, which you're still doing today. Yep. And it was a really, really interesting transition back and forth. I also transitioned between a lot of different roles. So most of my time at RSA Security, I was in product management, I would say about eight years between fraud products, fraud protection products, and enterprise identity products. And then I also transitioned to professional services, working very closely with customers, understanding their problems, challenges, escalations, and then transitioned to product marketing, which is a completely different and a turn. But I think that's where I find my, found my passion because product marketing, and I'm sure you'll connect to this, allows me to really connect the true value messages from the technical side, which I'm very passionate about, to, wow, from the technical side to <laughs> the, marketing the side. value to the customer. Absolutely. So, when yeah. you tell them why they should buy this and why it will help them. And, and I, I think to me, I, I really, I come from engineering background. I'm, I'm really kind of a geek in, in, in nature, and I really like to understand things. So I really like to understand their problems And I ask questions deeply to understand, so it helps me connect the technology properly to that. And then after 11 years at RSA Security, I felt like I need to get a different perspective of the security landscape. And I went to work for Biocatch. And Biocatch is focused on fraud detection with technology called behavioral biometrics. And we'll talk about fraud, I'm sure, a lot more. And... I really enjoyed my time at Biocatch. I well, you got to work with one of the grand masters of the fraud space, which is Uri, who I s- really appreciate everything yeah. he does. Yeah, Yuri Rivner is definitely a persona in the space, very strong, and he now actually left and started a it new company a in AML. And it, it was a pleasure to work with him. And I think there are a lot of great people. There, coincidentally, a lot of people moved from RSA to Biocatch okay. because I think there are a lot of similarities in the approach. And Biocatch just took it to the next level in, in terms of technology. So a lot of great names and a lot of great people, and it's doing really well. My role there, my last role, I ran marketing for Biocatch for the last year and a half. And then what happened was I realized that we're really focused on the metrics that banks care about. Like 
when it comes to fraud detection, like false positive rates and high detection rates and balancing security and, and, and user experience, I assume, yeah. how fast balancing they, security they, and user experience. Yeah. And I realized that something is missing. And what was missing is the human side. What happens to the people on the other end? And what has emerged as a large threat because the security controls that banks got so got to be so good and so effective, what was missing or what happened and what evolved is that cyber criminals turned to attack the weakest link, the human, mm-hmm. with online scams. And that's a vector that's going growing very, very fast in the fraud space. Also in the enterprise protection space, we're right. seeing this is why ORT kind of exists is because we're seeing that the attacks stopped being from zero day and started to go after the person. Right, exactly. The, the weakest link, the human. All the scams that attack enterprise to gain access to systems and social engineering of new employees, of HR, of impersonation of IT, impersonation of HR to get data, to get access, that is the same approach that cyber criminals are taking to for financial fraud. And I realized that the impact on the human is much bigger than, than, first of all, than we think about. And that financial institutions and their fraud teams don't necessarily think about this on a day-to-day basis. Because for customer who, customers whose accounts are taken over, there's typically reimbursement by the bank. Because if someone stole credentials and used a different device to access the account, there's regulation today to reimburse customers. So the financial impact is eventually going to be compensated for. And the there is going to be a hassle because you need to contact the bank. It needs to get resolved. It's going to be a process, but it will be taken care of eventually. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you did. But if someone manipulated you emotionally to transfer money to them and you realize that was a scam, you have the financial impact, you have the emotional impact, and there is no reimbursement today. Mm-hmm. And that hit me. And I realized that that's something I need to be involved in and I need to be part of the solution. This is so interesting. I recently, a friend of mine got scammed and she didn't care about the money. This is so interesting. She just said how how deeply she felt bad about being manipulated and believing those cameras. And she was like, I can't believe I believe them. I can't believe that I approved this transaction. So I, I, I never thought about it. But yes, the, there is an emotional toll when you are being scammed, when like you had trust in the system or like somebody called you out of the blue and walking in, in, with your dog and like you were happy and somebody said something to you and you thought it was real. Like people, that, that the life gets shattered when exactly. they kind of like realize how full I was and it's easy to manipulate people. So it, it's really interesting. I didn't think much about it, but I'll because you she went through that, it was interesting. I'll give you another example of someone, there's a very well-known scam called bank impersonation scam. So the scammer, let's say it starts with a text message saying, you have this transaction for $400. If you didn't do it, call this number. Okay. Okay. Driving sense of urgency. I call the number. Now I have. I'm talking to a scammer because I got a random. And you case. think it's the. Uh, I think it's the bank. I'm. Service. I'm nervous. I'm. They. They manipulate you in a sense of fear. Okay. So now I'm talking to the to what I think is a bank, but is really a scammer. And what this person is doing is, they're manipulating you. They're 
causing more fear. They're causing you to take action now. There are all these time bombs they put in and you think you're talking to the bank. Okay, now let's say that the bank put a control that allows them to somehow magically detect that although it's your legitimate device and you're using the network elements and all the, all the things that we looked at when we were doing fraud protection, everything looks legit, but somehow they managed to detect that it's not. Maybe the session's very long, whatever, the, some behavioral analytics or behavioral biometrics. So the bank fraud team calls you on the other line, call waiting. You're talking to the scammer, but you think it's a bank. The bank is now calling and you. And the real bank is the calling you. The real bank is calling you. They're not saying, I'm the real bank, trust me. How do you know who to trust? Oh, gosh, that's tough. And yes. I've Neither. Even, right. Yeah. And I've even heard a case, a, a good friend of mine told me that, he, and he's in fraud too, he's a fraud fighter, but his grandmother was scammed, bank impersonation scam. They didn't even go to the extent to say that they're the bank. What they told that lady who's elderly is that the, her bank is in on stealing money from her. her they're conspiring against her. So they're going to save her. And they convinced her to transfer the money. And they, they said, your bank might call you, but when they call, just know that they're in on this conspiracy. So don't believe them. So that manipulation is devastating. And it's a shattered sense of reality. It's just like you said, it's completely distorted. It's, I don't know what to believe anymore. And it causes post-traumatic stress disorder. And unfortunately, there are also cases of suicide. Wow. People yeah. just lose their confidence. Think of all the IRS scams. This really impacted people. Speaking of IRS, that's, this is tax season. Be very, very, very careful because this, this is the scam between beginning of March right. till the end of April. Yeah. The, yeah. Everybody has a, gets a call from the IRS saying that they failed the audit, that something... Yeah. is bad reimbursement is coming no 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 is not coming nothing scares people more than the irs wants your money yeah nothing yeah. scares people and the more. irs will not call you like that so yes, they will not there there have been there's been a decline in robocalls for irs in the last few years because because authorities asked mandated telcos to do something about it and there has been a lot of robocall related technology evolution. I actually have a story about an IRS scam. I got a call in 2014, I think, or 50, something like that. And I realized that so they called, I know it's a robocall, but I wanted to see the mode of operation. So I just went down the path. I clicked one, they asked for, for my name. I gave fake information and I gave a fake address in Texas. I just made something up. And then of course they found that I owe money and that, and I didn't take it very seriously, so they continually aggravated the situation. It started from you owe us money to the FBI is on their way because you have drug smuggling and whatever charges on your, and they're on their way now, so you better pay. And I knew it's a scam. I gave fake information. My heartbeat went up cr like crazy because the it's scary when someone is yelling at you. Yeah. yeah. And, you're, and I'm like... It was like, did I give fake information? Oh God, they have my phone number. Never mind, I'm gonna hang up now. So, yeah, it's very, very intense. And what I want to do in my new mission is to prevent that from happening in the first place. So, like I said, there is a decline in robocalls. Unfortunately, they didn't stop. They just transitioned to using text messages and emails and social platforms and dating platforms. And there's so many different types of scams. They're so creative. And they prey on the psychology of human mm -hmm. nature. Yeah, uh, I got a person call from the IRS. Not a robocall. Oh, a person call. A person call. Okay, wow. A real, real person. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, our call centers, yeah, they, they employ people. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a business. Yeah. 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 And sure. they have ways to, the telcos have a way to stop calls based on volume. Also, you know, not only robocalls, but just, but what they do is they actually use many SIMs and change phone numbers all the time. Of so course. there's no ability to repeat and, and block list the calls, the, the, the big numbers. So they're very sophisticated in that. They know what controls we're using mm, and they're just moving going around so like everything. So I'll give you another example of a really nice attack that they did. So as you know, most school systems call centers are automated. They hacked a school, a computer on the school, and they got calls coming from the school. So as if so the, the number school is calling yeah. you? The number shows up call. as the, oh, yeah. school. the school. And, they went down one and I know that I answer the school in the school. Yeah, call. that's exactly. the, only and they went the only number <laughs> that I actually answer. They went, the one by one on, on, they went one by one on the parent list. This was very, very impressive. Oh, wow. Exactly. Uh, so impersonation of the phone number. Yeah, this is super interesting. Maybe we take one step back because a lot of the people listening are from cybersecurity. And I wanted to kind of like clarify this relationship <laughs> between cyber and fraud. I think they're very close to each other. They're also different in a sense. So help us understand kind of like how these two worlds come together and come apart. Yeah, and I'm happy to have this as a conversation. From my perspective, as you said, there are a lot of similarities in the techniques that are used. Mm -hmm. From an org structure perspective, let's start with that. I think that typically the fraud teams currently belong to financial institutions, merchants, e-commerce companies, places where they're dealing with customers and there might be fraud. A lot of transactions. A lot like of tra if you're transactions, not, exactly. If you're not an organization with a large volume of transaction, you care less, I guess, about fraud. Right. There, there's Cyber insider fraud and embezzlement and things like that. But right. when it comes to not what we're talking about, online fraud detection controls and technologies and, and methodologies, then it's typically for those organizations that perform or have transactions, have money moving around. Mm. So typically, I would say, and it really, really depends on the organization, their structure. I think in the past, it did report to cybersecurity, but over time, because of the importance of the user experience, it shifted to be under the products team or the digital team, the digital marketing team. In, and there was a center of excellence for fraud, or it reports to the risk center, mm -hmm. which is also very, it also depends on the country. It, it changes and varies. What is important is that the cybersecurity organization is always a stakeholder in the decision-making process. They're not disconnected. Hopefully, they work together and collaborate to also find adjacencies because you can take a lot of risk indicators from fraud and consume them on the, on the cybersecurity control side and vice versa. And definitely from a knowledge perspective, knowledge sharing and, and brainstorming and thinking about how we tackle this and how we tackle that. So... Definitely advocate for collaboration across those teams, even if they're not in the same org chart. From a methodology perspective, I would say if we kind of look at fraud controls and feel free to chime in. Yep. I know you're an expert on this too. So initially started with the fraud control started with IP intelligence, device intelligence, behavioral analytics. So looking at characteristics of the different transactions over time. What are we learning about this user? Are they behaving normally? based on their activity in the past, the types of PEs, and learning what is risky. A new account is risky, a new PE is risky, things like that yep. over time. 
And then behavioral biometrics was layered on top of that. So how does a user swipe and click and move their phone with the gyro and things like that? That sounds like rocket science, but it's it's pr- pragmatic and it works very well. It Basically, works. is it a real phone of a user? No, or it's even it's more it's automated. Even, it's even simpler. It's what are your biometric traits? Right. So, for example, your mom clicks very differently than you. Right. If I run JavaScript on the client, I can see... How the mouse moves, how fast you click. Think of how fast it type. belongs to you. Yeah, but what you said is also one of them. So is it a bot or not? Is it a yeah. real human right. behind it or, or not? Or is it so, automated? So absolutely bot detection is, is part of fraud protection as well. And mm-hmm. that's another connection point with cybersecurity because yeah. bot detect- or bots can access consumer websites and they can access and or attempt access enterprise yep. website as well. So that's one aspect. Are you who you claim to be by looking at the data without... Asking for authentication without yeah. asking the user to participate because of that high focus on user experience. Another really interesting part of behavioral biometrics is the ability to look at patterns and say, this looks like a cyber, uh, this looks like a cyber criminal or this looks like a legitimate user. So I'll give you an example. When you open an account as a legitimate person, you're going to look for, at the form, the account will be informed, fill in the details. Look at the terms and conditions. Maybe it's pick a credit card design if it's a new credit card. And it will take you some time. Now, if you're a cyber criminal who does that 50 times a day, <laughs> you're going to do you're it very, nice. very quickly. Only mandatory fields, not stopping for a moment. Check the box and go. You're going to also, so you can see the proficiency in filling out the form. Another element in that same activity is if you're a legitimate user, you know your personal details, your yep. address, your phone number, and you use your long-term memory to fill out the form. So your typing will d- be continuous. There will be no hesitation. But when a cyber criminal does it, they'll Cut either paste. Co- copy-paste. from. They'll go out, off-screen, on-screen. They'll copy-paste. They'll, they'll type from a list. So it will be continuous. So all these things are, are patterns of cyber criminal activity versus legitimate activity that are not authenticating the user so much, but just classifying the, yep. the activity. So that's been very effective. But again, when it comes to online scams, there's a gap because... Maybe there could be some indications if someone is on the phone and on their device and the session's really long and they're hesitating before they make the payment. So there could be very edge cases that could be caught. But the thing is, online scams, not everything happens online. Yep. People transfer money on Zelle, gift cards. They go to the bank. They send not checks. ATM. They go and get they go cash. And crypto. Crypto. Yeah. So a lot of... This activity can't be or, or is really hard to catch. And as we said, even if technology is able to catch it at the point of transaction, the distorted sense of reality interferes with making yep. decisions. Yeah. And well. Lital, here's one thing that as somebody who did both of them, it's a very big difference because you'll hear a lot of times fraud, fraud detection is usually more advanced than enterprise security. More advanced than a lot enterprise more, A lot more advanced than enterprise security. Because money is because, at stake? Because the ROI also is it's clear. clear. The ROI is very, very clear. Okay. If you're, if you're in a company, if I need to explain to the CISO why I need to buy ORT, Hunters, whatever, to do detection, I need to explain what's the cost of a loss transaction. You need to explain the risk. And cyber risk is yeah. not something I'll, I'll, I'll that is tangible. I'll give you an example. When you build B2B, kind of B2B consumer sites, for example, the thing that we built for our consumers at Cisco, that has a little bit of both because I, I, it serves millions of people 
everyone is a Cisco customer, but they're not doing this for themselves. So it, th there's no cost of a lost transaction. It's a lot harder than if you're Amazon and you need to know. So trying to establish fraud there, it's a lot harder. But if you're doing, if you're Amazon, you know exactly, you say 5% of transactions, I'm, oh, willing fraudulent. To, I, I'm willing to take a hit of X amount of transactions to, to prevent loss of loss of transactions. There's a whole bunch of stuff that but goes there. But anything above that, I'm not willing exactly. to take. So, so the money and, and budgets are very okay. clear and very guaranteed, and that's why you'll see a lot more advanced. Interesting. But what happens a lot of times is people in cybersecurity try to implement it back into enterprise security. I had a call from a VC that said, how about you do adaptive authorization? And I said, we, we failed. Larry and I, Larry Friedman, who you also know very well, and I failed to do this now three times, and it ha never has to deal with technology. We solved it technologically 2010. The problem is people. If I'm in an enterprise and I do my same job over and over and over again, I don't want to be challenged by extra factors in an inexplicable way. I don't want to get a screen of my usual system that says, we don't know if you're who you are, so you get three screens less. The first thing that will happen is they'll call at IT and yell their heads off. <laughs> So, and, and this has happened now multiple, multiple times. So this is stuff that the consumer is actually more open to, to have, to, if you see your Capital One state and Capital One thinks that you're not in a good state, they say, listen, we're here to protect you. How about we don't show you this? How about you call us, prove who you are, and we'll reopen these fields. Even we know that as users, we get very upset if like you're trying to buy a, fly ticket and you get the extra yeah, thing that say, is thinking and waiting to be authorized or you need to get a call or you need to approve. Yeah, consumer tolerance for additional controls. I think that I think what fraud is trying to do or the fraud controls are trying to do as much as possible without without user interaction. Yeah. Without harassing the user, without asking. And yes, there is risk-based authentication and asking for additional controls later. And with enterprises, yes, some p mad people will call IT, but I think there is acceptance that you need to protect the enterprise. So, so it's, it's that balance that it's has the balance, to be... But the, you can put a lot, process. you can top load the controls. So in an enterprise space, I can top load. I can make sure that if you want to do this transaction, always use YubiKey. I don't yeah. care yeah. if you want to do a transaction over 10K in this bank, yeah. insert YubiKey, otherwise not going to happen. So yeah. this is acceptance in the enterprise space. And I would say that's also true for consumer, for commercial banking as yes. well. For example, yeah. but you can't top load. You have to front load. You can't front load. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. have to front load the security controls invisibly. Yeah. I think another area of similarity where there are a lot of shared there's a lot of shared knowledge between cybersecurity and fraud is the the analytics, right? The user entity behavioral analytics that's done in, in cybersecurity. Yeah. Very similar. The data, of course, is different. The elements that we're looking there are some similarities. Looking like for maybe different behaviors a little bit. Different yeah. behaviors and different data, but the methodologies are are essentially very, very similar. And then it's it's AI models will or what you put in the models, how you manage the models and, and supervise them, that, that will give you the quality. Of Absolutely. The Question about the players. What do we know? Is the, are they the same, like cyber criminals, are they also the same players playing in fraud? Is it different? Do they kind of like live in the same ecosystem? What do we know about that? So again, I'll chime in and feel free to. Ask. So I think there are a number of motivations for cyber criminals in 
general, right? So you have the nation state hackers, the financial motiv- financially motivated criminals. You have the hacktivists who just want to cause chaos and anarchy and make a point. And some, I'm not going to put a point of view here. I'll probably support some of those activities, but generally speaking, no. And when it comes to espionage is another one, of course. Uh, and I, I would say this, data breaches the impact of data breaches, whether it's for enterprise or for consumer, are then the usernames, passwords, personal data all finds itself in the dark web, right? Right. And the consumers of the dark web, who are the cyber criminals that are financially motivated or whatever, they're going to use the data for social engineering. They're going to use the data to create new accounts. They're going to use the data to take over accounts. So it's all intertwined. I think it's pretty organized there. You know where to go, where to buy. So it's part of that supply chain. Those who create the breaches, sell the data, consume the data, perform perform the activities. So it's definitely intertwined. I think for fraud, obviously, they're financially motivated at the end of the day, but... I think they're financially motivated in enterprise as well. I th- yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do the, the short answer. So yes, I believe that these are the same people. Mm-hmm. It's the same hierarchy that Ayelet was describing. So you get the hierarchy. I call it the shit rolls downhill level thing. I you call it the supply chain. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you start... <laughs> you start with nation states. You, you start with... You start with, the the es- you start with <laughs> the espionage in nation states. And when we think of nation states, we think of the NSA and their likes. But there's at least eight to ten countries... And as you go down the levels of these eight to 10 countries, you discover that the guys that build these for these countries start having less and less moral scruples. So the tool that was used mm-hmm. to war becomes a tool for commercial gain. Now, if you're- Many nation states use those tools for financial gain or exa- play both. Or exactly. So yeah. then you start going into what I call the gray, the gray scale. What does it mean, the gray scale? So we- all three of us come from a country where, that loves the grayscale. They take the stuff that the military built and turn it into... Commercially into available lawful software. Lawful interception and things that deal with gambling and things that deal with all the crap... Adware. All the adware that we get. Now, that's in grayscale. Is this legal? Is this not legal? Because they're spying on us. They're really good at spying on us. Zoom Info gets us a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want to know how they got there. So... Now you have grayscale, and very close after that comes the not-so-grayscale. The they take the exact same tool that the military has built, and now they want to get money. There's easy ways to monetize from enterprise, and there's easy ways to monetize out of fraud. It's kind of pick your poison. What, with enterprise, it's the people that usually want to get a bigger bag. Because if I hack a hospital and ransomware the shit out of them... Mm-hmm. You I, get a few million... Dollars or exactly. tens of millions of dollars, and you go away, and then you drop the data exactly. on the dark web and resell it to all the fraudulents. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, so, so get that, more. The, so the the people that usually go after enterprise are more are like more motivated to get a bigger buck. The people that go after people usually are like the people that w- would have picked your pocket. Yeah, on the T. Although I want to say that, that that has been true for a long time. I think the scam, the amount lost to scams used to be a few hundred dollars, a few thousands. Now we have a new class of scams, the crypto investment scams. Mm, yes. We're talking about pig hundreds butchering. of pig butchering scams. We're talking about... Did, okay. uh, you did a podcast yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Can, <laughs> let's plug it in. Okay. <laughs> so 
these scams are millions of dollars are yep. lost to these scams. So All the savings of people yeah. goes to that. Uh, so so yes, I'll, I'll remind you now again a little bit from our history. Remember that Israel Aloni coming to us, by the way, he's now in Sentinel. He, he came in and knocked on your office door when we were talking and said, we have to secure the, the online gambling stuff. Remember when he was talking about this? Yeah. Because back then there was millions of uninsured, ungoverned money there. And it was just... And, and so Still people gamble online and lose all the saving, how different it is. No, so, so a, a, attacking the big gamblers used to be a lot less secure. The, I, I, they had like their accounts in the gambling sites and those were not insured. Very much like Eldo was talking about insurance. So there were a higher class of criminals that used to steal money from the high roller gamblers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now it's, they put a lot of controls in place, the numbers are going down, so they're choosing other places. But I think what Ayelti is saying is that there's, there's the, the, the people that steal from what I call the jackpots. The people that if you steal a lot from, it's like going yeah, to the hospital. Yeah, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's very pervasive. It's yes. not, it, they will steal as much as they can, like as you said, they'll steal they everything. And if your everything is to a few millions, but also people take mortgages. It, it, yeah. People are are take it, the money that they don't have is taken from them. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's it. This is where Terrible. tragedy really comes in. But I think it's a gray area. I don't think it's similar to online gambling because I think the gambling sites. Not that I think that it's yeah. good, but the gambling sites are trying to do gambling like with chance and rolling the dice and. And that level, whereas yep. here it's it's a scam, it's manipulation, Absolutely. it's, yeah. it's your choice of spending money versus no, what I meant was he, he was talking about stealing from your account yeah. when you used to yeah. gambling. Yeah. I, I'm just talking about the the moral ethic of yeah. those gambling sites. <laughs> I, I want I want to make sure we have time to talk about the, your new enterprise. Yeah, you, you started talking about the the people behind those scams. Um, so what are you working on? Tell us. Yeah, so. In the last few months, I've kind of th- been thinking about, okay, we're, my, my goal is to s- stop online scams before they happen, before the manipulation starts, before mm-hmm. people start to go down that rabbit hole of the emotional manipulation, those conversations, the fear, everything that happens to them that we want to avoid. And just like you said, your friend cared more about the emotional side than the money. Absolutely. It wasn't a lot of money. And so I'm working on a technology solution in that space. Very, very early stages. So you're planning to have technology that will help people recognize that they're speaking with with the scammer, that they are being scammed. Is Mm -hmm. that the direction? That's the idea, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I'm sure that fits very well also with something we talked with Gabi a few episodes ago about education. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than being aware and stopping and like asking yourself, is this true? Am I being scammed? I think just... Being aware, I mean, it's not bulletproof. We all can be scammed. I yeah. mean, yep. we have the tendency to, the sense of to urgency. Be humans, to be humans. Yeah. We're humans. We're and humans. that tendency is what they prey on. And they yeah. prey on the, the actually the, the the niceties of a lot of us. Exactly. So We want to be helpful. We want to be helpful. You, you, you don't want to be perceived as a bad person. I think you really don't want to be a bad person. Yeah. 
and uh, that's and a that's a that's very long nature. that's a very long conversation <laughs> of are we naturally bad or are we naturally good so yeah. i'll plug it here that i wish whenever the technology is ready that all the banks will invest and use <laughs> because you. like what's better than educating the users that it exists and helping yeah. them prevent it because it's not just the aside like yeah you cannot kind of bulletproof yourself if you're not using the user itself. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Well, that's super exciting. Time Are we to re- play? Time Are we to ready? play the game. Yes. Yeah, let's go. And now Lital and Didi present Prove You're Not a Robot. Three final authenticating questions for our guest. So, Ayelet, if you were a cybersecurity superhero, what would be your name? And... Who would be the actor, actress, will play you in the Hollywood movie or Israeli movie that will come afterwards? Maybe it will be Bollywood. So definitely Scam Ranger, the Scam Ranger. Yes. (laughs) That's that's an easy one. And I'm I'm debating between two Israeli actresses, Gal Gadot and Nati. And Nati should be, but they're and they're both in Hollywood. Both women are powerful and leaders and stand for what they believe in. So Absolutely. Not Tishbi went to school with me. Another Alliance graduate. Oh. Yes. Awesome. So she speaks French too. Je ne parle pas français. Pas du tout. J'oublie tout. What is your favorite hacking breach horror story? My favorite. Or least favorite. Or least favorite. And it could be fraud story as well. Yep. Yeah, I would say, yeah, because the hacking story, I'm sure you guys talked about it on the show a lot. Uh, I was kind of, when RSA was breached, I was the one who was uh, not the only one, of course, with uh, hundreds of other people holding the fort and not dealing with a breach. Yes. So that horror story for me was more like, just keep on moving with half the people. You were gone for months and, and some other people, so we just had to keep going. But I would say... To me, I'm, I'm going to generalize here. I think I think that the horror story is not a particular breach or hack. It's more the fact that people don't understand the implications of it. And I think all of us in cybersecurity do. But people are not careful with their own data. And how do we ensure that it, even if there is a breach, people are protecting themselves and not using the same password across all social platforms and work and that is something that we need to deal with. And speaking of about Gabby Friedlander, he and I, well, hopefully, we're talking about going to schools and starting to educate them about these things like password. It has so to start important. very, very young. Yeah, very young. Those the minute you get from, your cell phone. Yeah. And we, uh, Gabby says oh, this. You give your, your, your kids a cell phone and it's like giving them the keys to the car. Go drive without learning. Any training. Permit, any training. So Same we, about sitting on the computer and clicking on links. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's something that we want to do. And I think that's that's the horror in it. And I'm terrified about this this generation that is just growing up with Roblox and, and talking to people. And I'm talking to when they're very young and they're that sense that, yeah, there are strangers out there and I can talk to them and I can trust them. And th- that's so I twisted a little bit. The no, question. Uh, but perfect. No, per- answer <laughs> answer whatever way you want, <laughs> because everybody answers AI on the revolutionary part. I'll ask. How do you waste your time on the internet? How do I waste my time on the internet? Oh. So I decided a few years ago that Facebook is wasting my time. So I'm not wasting my time on Facebook anymore because I felt like I go on Facebook, I'm 40 minutes past and I didn't even realize, I didn't even mean to. You I was looking scroll. for email or whatever and I just, so I stopped doing that. 
so Instagram from time to time, but LinkedIn is definitely, definitely the way I spend my time. And I'm not going to say waste because I do learn a lot on LinkedIn. There's a community. I feel like fraud fighters are there. I just recently saw an article about coffee and yep. fraud fighters and how much what happens to the world if coffee goes away, the amount of money that's going to be lost from fraud because fraud fighters don't have coffee to drink. So that's, that's my entertainment. That's awesome. That is awesome. We will not be able to fight it without coffee. No. We will not, be able, to, we will not be able to, to survive the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coffee's a fuel. Exactly. Amazing. Anything else we need to share with our listeners? Last thoughts? Yeah, I think w part of what I'm trying to communicate and, and to get everyone to think about is these scams can happen to anyone. And we just talked about they prey on human nature and education is super important, but it's not enough because one moment off guard and it can really happen to anyone. It happened to me last year in April. I have a long story that I'm not going to get into now, but it's, it's on my podcast. But basically, I eventually stopped. I realized they were trying to get me to install a remote access tool. So yep. Yep. at that point, I'm like, okay. But I ignored so many red flags on the way, and I'm an expert on this. I know... All I know about this, but I almost fell for it myself because I was in a situation where I was hoping that someone will help me. Yep. And the, my point is definitely show empathy, but also if it happens to anyone, they shouldn't feel ashamed. And to the cybersecurity community in particular, I want to say show empathy. Absolutely. Show we, empathy. we are not good at that. Like, yeah. We like to blame and like yeah. think, poke at them. Be say smarty this. pants. Yeah. No. Stupid. Be, yeah. It can happen to anyone, anyone. and people need to know it that will. it's okay. It will happen to it everyone. Will. People need to know that it's okay to share and speak up because that helps support those emotional traumas. After. It's very similar to what we say about breaches. They will happen. All organizations will eventually be breached. Right. Unfortunately, many individuals will be scammed, part of fraud. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should find a way to first recover. I guess there should be... Also ways to advise people on how maybe the money cannot be recovered, but maybe they need some Sometimes trauma. Sometimes money can be recovered, and it's important to report immediately okay. because that helps recover money. Especially Who to report to? That's so, important if people are listening. Yeah, local law enforcement, FBI, those, those are the starting points, FTC, Federal Trade Commission. And sometimes they don't have the ability to take on all the workloads, but that's definitely st start with your local law enforcement. And there's a team in California that's really trying to teach law enforcement globally. They created a blueprint to be able to analyze crypto scams and seize the money. Yep. So that mm. it, there is a lot of awareness in law enforcement that okay. cybercrime and scams are crimes that need to be taken care of. And, and there are systems to recover the money. So definitely reporting. And then there are also support groups for scam victims, which exist out there and can help with the emotional yeah. part of it yeah perfect very helpful you're doing great job so important thank yeah. you excellent well thanks for joining us thanks. at this the Didi awesome. Little show you. thanks everyone for listening in the next episode of scam rangers i will be chatting with frank mckenna chief fraud strategist at point predictive and creator of frank on fraud a blog about trends and modes of operation in fraud we will talk about the modes of operation and technology criminals use when they execute scams and what's coming with deep fakes and generative AI. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to put a link to Didi and Lital's podcast, The Didi and Lital Show, in the show notes. 
And if you want to hear more about scams, scam rangers, or what we can do about online scams, please follow me on LinkedIn, Ayelet Bigger Levine, or follow Scam Rangers on LinkedIn, Scam Rangers. Have a wonderful week.